0: Hello, 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 everyone! Welcome to another episode of Hayden's Happy Hour. I'm happy to be joined again by my friend Scott Thomas today. Welcome to the show, Scott. Thank you. thank you. It's great to be doing this in person so instead of via Zoom. Yeah, it's a lot better. I can, mm-hmm. and, uh, you, you get more feedback face to face. Yeah, it's good. good more stuff. communication, verbal and nonverbal. We can kind of read where each other are at a little more. I think it's much better to do it in person. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And thanks for having me here. Oh, definitely. I'm happy you're here. Glad to be here. So today I wanted to not discuss the same things that we did last time, but sort of come at it from a different angle. Sure. So, um, recently Jordan Peterson has been in the news a lot because of the Marvel comics thing with the red skull. So would you tell everybody about that for people that don't know about the red skull? Oh, um, uh, well, so, uh, a Marvel comics, uh, and
1: at some point decided it would be a good idea for to have, uh, Red Skull come out as a, a, a motivational speaker, I guess you'd say, <laughs> um, which uh, uh, they uh, they chose Jordan Peterson as uh, uh, a target for a little jab there, I think, um, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the panels, I think, showed uh, Red Skull promoting a, a, a book, Ten Rules for Life or something yeah. like that, and yeah. telling people to make their bed. So, um, of course, the internet has responded in kind. We've gotten a lot of good memes off that one. For sure. And, uh, of course, Peterson's made a, a reaction to it. His daughter's made a reaction to it. And um, Really a, an odd scene. It's one of those weird things where you didn't think that we would,
0: uh, we would be here. Right? Yeah. Especially with, with 2020, the way <clears throat> it went. And then here, it's sort of like interesting to me that they're still choosing him to single out as like this guy to demonize
1: yeah which you know is odd because he's he's um one of the uh the nicest people to ever be called a Nazi, i think yeah. I mean? the, yeah yeah here's a guy that uh um you know he's not throwing hand grenades at people mm-hmm. he he it, i think he's honestly coming from a place where he's trying to uh uh help people. It's just that his way of helping doesn't fit um a popular narrative, yeah. And so he's, he's demonized for it. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think part of the problem with his message to a lot of people is that he doesn't dismiss the idea of God being a reality in his message.
1: <clears throat> that's definitely part of the problem. Yeah. That's, that's one of the things that that irritates a lot of people is that um, he in some weird way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, I don't think, uh, one of the things I like about Peterson is I don't think he's a guy that walks at anything from a, a, uh, doesn't walk at most things from a very concrete standpoint. Mm-hmm. I think he's no matter what he's doing, he's open to other people's ideas. He's always refining his argument. Yeah. And, um, so when I say weird, um, that what I'm saying is it is unusual that for someone who is not a, uh, a fundamentalist to look up and say, well, my position on god here here's what i think and my viewpoint is always changing yeah so
0: and that's sort of kind of more of a mystical turn in that you don't concretely narrow down a concept when it comes to god
1: yeah overall yeah it's it's a an attribute we would expect to find in a mystic Um, yeah uh his his approach to god isn't really one that comes from mysticism but Mm -hmm. but yeah it's 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 a trait that we would you generally associate with somebody like that
0: his idea is more rooted in like his psychological background i think and Jung, yeah I think and the so. idea of like archetypes and narrative versus objective reality and those sort of ideas which are interesting to bring in there but i think sometimes weigh you down if you are attached to them because they make you define things from one narrow perspective psychologically and they don't allow you to sort of bring in theological and um historical narratives as much because you're sort of looking at it as all related to a person rather than god and so you're kind of looking at it from this is how people see god rather than how god is so i think it sort of makes you not look at the objective side of it
1: yeah um secular theology without theology yeah exactly yeah yeah that's, that's a that's one of those long-going uh kind of conversations where um you know we look up and it's always interesting to see somebody take on theology from the secular viewpoint and the different crossroads that that leads you to so yeah yeah because it
0: can come in there from sociology it can come in there from a lot of different places uh, yeah. philosophy um one of the biggest ones that i see is um Oh, what's the word? Historians sort of yeah. putting their own narratives into biblical narratives and sort of trying to shift them to their own ideals.
1: Yeah, that's that's a common thing. It's something that we see a lot more uh, today. Um, uh, you're getting people that are taking uh, social ideologies and political ideologies and trying to create a, a historical framework where it manipulates
0: a theology. And yeah, yeah. So, yeah. It's,
2: yeah, it's an interesting
0: world we live in right now. Yeah. People are sort of playing with things that I don't think they even understand sometimes. Yeah. But I mean, we
1: all are to some degree, right? We're, yeah. We're, we're all playing with yeah. stuff we don't understand, but yeah, it's, um, it is funny when you turn on TikTok and uh, you see some guy that um, is telling you what a Hebrew word means and you're sitting there going, I'm pretty sure this guy works at, um, at books a million. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know if there's a books a million left anywhere and you're enough that there's anything wrong with working at books a million, but what I'm getting at here is here's a guy that has access to a whole lot of information, but really has probably never followed any of it through. He's not committed yes. himself to a study of anything. Yeah. Um, so it was a horribly sad analogy, but to try to get to the place of so somebody has a lot of information available to them. Probably hasn't actually followed any of it through. Read yeah. the first chapter
0: of a whole lot of books. Exactly. Started a lot of things, probably has a very full bookshelf, but not yeah. a lot of, uh, Well, probably a lot of bookmarks yeah. still in there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's true. I think a lot of people like to publicly espouse what they believe without actually following it through before they even get on the public forum because of things like Facebook and things like um, Reddit and all these other places, people can sort of just shoot in the hip all the time.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, one of the nice things um, about the age that we live in is we've got all this information that's available to us. One of the bad things about the age that we live in is we've got all this information available to us. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's very easy to get a piece of information that, confirms the biases that we already have. And then we take that and we run with it. Yeah. Um, instead yeah. of going, Hey, maybe I need to take in a couple of other sources of information. There's no way anybody can take it all in now. No. It's too much of it. Not possible. But taking a couple of other sources of information, maybe purposefully listen to at least one person that disagrees with me, see how my ideas line up with their ideas. Do I think I've got a better set of ideas and, and then, you know, move forward from there.
0: Yeah, and I think, like you said, even if you don't, even if you don't find your viewpoint reflected to you right away, you can find it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the great things about uh, Jordan Peterson, you know, we watch him over the years, um, and I'm, I'm not a Jordan Peterson fanboy. I don't want to come off that way, but um, uh, one of the things I really do like about him is if you watch him over the years, what we've seen is we've seen him refine his position, refine his argument, um, and there haven't been a whole lot of hills that he said, no, here's where I'm going to die. Yeah. He's, he's really looked up and um, especially if you follow like his dialogues with Sam Harris. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I think he would say, uh, if you, if you catch one of those bootlegs from those early arguments, he would say, I didn't have my arguments down very well. Yeah. And uh, you catch him f- from later on, he's really refined those arguments and, and it's uh,
0: it's a much more complete and, cohesive idea yeah and so before we get into the specifics of what we're going to talk about today i wanted to just mention the very interesting phenomenon i've found of sort of in- internet-based intellectual public intellectuals coming to rise on the internet exclusively yeah
1: it's the public forum uh, in rome just yeah in a new yeah yeah
0: and so i think it's really interesting that um you have this backlash from the mainstream media Against these guys, like, um, that are sort of looked at as they call themselves the intellectual dark web, the Weinstein yeah. brothers, um, yeah. Sam Harris, Jordan Peterson, and I think sort of the host of the whole thing is like Joe Rogan with his podcast. It's sort of the bane of every liberal's existence. Well, yeah,
1: you kind open <laughs> the door to them, so, yeah, you know. And and let me defend liberal for the the word liberal there, yeah, yeah, let's go, um, ahead and, yeah,
0: define our terms because,
1: uh, you know, as, as we're kind of starting off today and we're, we're, you know, whatever it is that we're looking at today. Um, one of the, the issues that we run into is uh, the word liberals kind of gotten hijacked by a, a progressive movement. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and I think that happened because a lot of people who are liberal tend to be progressive. Yes. Um, and of course we're talking to the modern sense of liberal, not classic liberalism. Yeah. Um, But uh but yeah, as, as uh, some of those mainstream sources became a little less mainstream and, and audiences started going to the, some of these other places, um, people who were somewhat liberal or more progressive, mm-hmm. they did kind of look up and, and get irritated at this group of people yeah. who are not like
0: uh, right-wing conservative poster children. They're not a different version of Rush Limbaugh. No, 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 no. They're, They're the opposite of Rush yeah. Limbaugh in a
2: lot of ways. Yeah.
1: So uh, it, it's it's a really interesting. I don't want to keep using the phrase. It's an interesting world we live in. But it is. But it is. Been, <laughs> and uh, some of the things we've seen over the past uh, three to four years, where um, you know, we the voice of dissent that is dissented against. is kind of it's it's a weird concept.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting that the rebels are being attacked by the progressives.
1: Yeah, that's a, you put that way better than I could have, but yeah. And it's
0: interesting because in the 60s, you know, I think the problem is the counterculture sort of won the popularity contest. Yeah, I think in the long term. In yeah. the long term, they kind of won the popularity <clears throat> contest. I think we had the 80s.
1: Yeah, well, they grew up. Yeah.
0: And eventually one yeah. day they're the people buying sobs. Yeah, exactly. You know, and
1: you go, oh, okay. And
0: yeah. Let's <laughs> see what happened here. Oh, your parents were hippies in the 60s. Yeah, and yeah. now that's why you think the way you do about a lot of things. Yeah. You, and so you see this kind of progression yeah. of progressives. And I think it's sort of a response to the rising conservatism in America in the 80s. You sort of had the 90s with Bill Clinton and then even more so in the 2000s, the response to the Iraq war and 9-11 you know, we sort of had another conservative rise after 9-11. And now we're seeing, I think the, once again, the nineties, but in the 2020s where it's sort of a a shift back the other direction from the conservative conservatism of Trump and Bush and which I don't know, it's fair to call Trump a conservative.
1: Yeah. I wouldn't, I don't, um, I know a lot of people do. I don't think that's really fair. And, and, you know, when you look, what you see, it kind of funny, if you follow that, that line, which I know, um, um, I, don't, I don't want to hijack the conversation, but if you follow that line, it's interesting because what you're actually looking at is you're looking at one generation rebelling against the generation that came before. Yeah, exactly. Um, but as it goes, if you watch the trend, you know, the conservatism of the 80s, compare that to the conservatism that showed up in the 90s. Um, they're very, very different. Yeah. Um, the conservatism that popped up, I guess what we call conservatism now of uh, Donald Trump, yeah. Um, is is not conservatism. It's not conservatism in mm-hmm. the 90s. Um, yeah. So, the same way we've seen liberalism have kind of a shift, we've seen conservatism have a shift too. Yeah. Um, uh, which, you know, that's a, a political sphere. There's a whole lot of people that um, are, are a lot better informed than me to, to comment on it. But as a pedestrian, yeah. kind of standing from yeah. the side looking at it, you go, wow, yeah, that's. That's shifted a long way,
2: yeah.
1: you know you, you look at uh, the spending of Trump um, and and then you, mm-hmm. you look at the spending of George W. Bush and you look at the spending of of Ronald Reagan, you look at where the money was spent versus how it was spent, the attitude that was spent that was around it as it was spent, and you go, here's something that's called something,
0: but really, as we look, we see it it's progressed a lot, yeah. It's so, yeah. gone sort of a direction it wasn't meant to. I think, think conservatism is not about the sort of nationalism and sort of the, uh, the xenophobia that sort of gotten caught up with it. And also sort of the religious element, I don't think was as prominent with Reagan where he wasn't, it wasn't looked at that, you know, if you didn't vote for Reagan, you weren't a good Christian. I think there were still some Democrats who were, who were Demo- or, uh, Christian Democrats who were more liberal leaning that didn't see Reagan as the antichrist. Like a lot of people kind of painted Trump as the antichrist. And he's this horrible guy. Yeah. I think there was sort of more of a intersection between the two groups and they sort of talked a little more. Um, they definitely carried on um, a lot more dialogue.
1: Um, but I, I think a lot of that. So now we're getting into something that, that um, uh, I really love because now we're talking about kind of the intersection of theology and politics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, you know, my, my, my first statement is everyone's individual theology should govern their political outlook, mm-hmm. but theology shouldn't be a part of the political landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what's interesting is because what you're talking about is an organic process versus an inorganic process. Yeah. You know, the organic process is how I view God should change what I do in the world. Mm -hmm. And so it should change who I support. It Mm -hmm. should change, uh, the policies that I'm willing to, to pay for. Mm -hmm. It it should change everything about my worldview. Um, and so that's the organic way that theology should intersect with politics. Um, what happens kind of the age old problem when we, we corporately interject theology into politics. Yeah. And so that's where you have the state church. Yes. Um, or the the state anti-church. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most of your communist countries. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, when we look up and we go, okay, we're going to take a political stand towards theology. That's a huge issue. Um, because at the heart of Christianity is this idea that um, there's a difference between two people. Yes. You either have faith in Jesus Christ or you do not have faith in Jesus Christ. And we're not called to legislate that everybody has faith in Jesus Christ. We're
0: called to proselytize. Yeah. We're called to be evangelists Yeah, for Christ, not to yeah. enforce Christ. Yeah.
1: So it's interesting when you start seeing those two things come into play and, um, You know, then you you get people making statements and taking stands that um, aren't really based in their theology, but they're Mm -hmm. in the name of their theology.
0: Yeah. And so you see things that are sort of antithetical to what we would think of as Christian values, sort of like, um, and not to get too political into it, but sort of uh, funneling all the money into... Um, protection like defense spending and we see that sort of thing is like uh, let's hoard all our money for missiles and guns and let's not uh, fund social programs and let's not uh, fund our education system as much let's sort of take money away from the people and sort of give it to the what I think Eisenhower called the military industrial complex Mm -hmm. and so we see that that's probably not a very Christian value from my personal theology right and so that to me that doesn't reflect what my theology informs me about how I should act in the world. Right. But it's sort of seen as if you're a Christian in America, you must listen to Jerry Falwell and uh, Joel o- or Joel Osteen, depending on your proclivities. And you must, you, short, you sort of just, all you care about is abortion and gun rights. And that's sort of your political stance. You know, there's not really a spectrum. You're sort of seen as like an ideologue only if you're a Christian in America, like you must be right wing you know?
1: Yeah. So here's one of the interesting things that, that comes into play. Um, cause as I'm kind of parsing through that, that set of statements that you made right there, um, the, the first intersection that we come to when we start looking at how is it that our theology impacts our daily life,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? Yeah. Um, the, the first one that we run into is the idea of interpretation. Yes. Um, so me being just slightly older than you, um, I remember when this argument sprang up in the late '80s, early '90s, um, about whether or not abortion should be a litmus test um, for a, 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 a judge that a president was appointing.
2: Okay.
1: Um, you know whether to circuit, uh, you know, federal circuit court or supreme mm-hmm. court or whatever. Um, and so this question came up: Well, should abortion be a litmus test? and there was a a public conversation that we had about how important is abortion politically and we kind of got labeled as the uh thing we call it the third rail of, mm-hmm. of politics yes it was when well, you don't touch it because if you, uh, you touch it you're going to get zapped yeah um and so it was interesting to see that that take place and then that kind of gets shattered, um, somewhere around, uh, 19, uh, I guess it would have been 99 or 2000. Yeah. When, uh, George W Bush, he was running uh, for president, um, uh, said, if you give me an anti-abortion bill, I'm going to sign it. Yeah. Yeah. And so politically at that point, um, what you saw is you saw, um, people who were conservatives um, who had previously said, Oh, we don't want to talk about abortion because that's not inside my theological framework. And I don't, I don't believe you have to be anti-abortion. Mm-hmm. And the people who said that all of a sudden found themselves in a, a group of conservatives that was drawing a whole bunch of people in, that it wouldn't have necessarily drawn in otherwise. Mm -hmm. Sorry about that. No, you're okay. So what happened is when George W. Bush said that there were a whole bunch of people that theologically agreed with that and suddenly became very
0: energized to take on this moniker of conservative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And I think a lot of those people were sort of the frustrated, uh, what people call the silent majority. Yeah, no. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And I think that the silent majority a lot of time isn't conservative.
1: Uh, I don't know. You know, every couple of years, I see different information about that. And, um, I think that's a, that's a good question. I think, you know, one of the things when we start talking about conservative versus liberal and all these things, you know, like we talked about earlier, those, those terms, they change over time, different things get associated with them. Mm Um, when we start, when we start talking about those, we compare them to people's actual,
0: worldviews that are formed by their theologies Mm -hmm. sometimes we get some like weird mismatches we get some kind of contradictory uh ideas that sort of don't mix with each other but yet they're still like that's the thing about cognitive dissonance is people can hold two opposing ideals in their head at the same time
1: sure yeah and and that's a a, that's a fair and accurate portrayal of cognitive dissonance right um Mm -hmm. the the problem is what has happened recently is people take that term and anytime you come to a different conclusion than they came to Then you're
0: cognitively dissonant. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, they toss that out there. Yeah. Um but uh you know, so like what you were talking about earlier about um uh let's say how a person supports uh funding inside the government, right? Yeah. So one guy says, Hey, we need to be spending money in the military, another guy says, Well, no, 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 we don't. And they both look up and say, I believe this because I'm a Christian. Yeah. Um, and the issue that we come to there is one of interpretation. Mm -hmm. It's where are you drawing your, your theology from? And, and how do you approach that source that you're drawing that theology from? Yes. So, you know, when, when one person says, well, I'm a Christian, so I don't believe we should have a large military. Yeah. Um, Okay. Why yeah, do you, you as you a Christian are, yeah. believe that? Mm-hmm. What influences your, your personal theology that's led you to that conclusion? Somebody looks up and says, well, I believe that because I'm a Christian, I believe we do need a strong military. Yes. Okay. Why? Mm-hmm. Where are you getting that interpretation from? And, and I don't think that either one of those two things are, um, mutually exclusive mm-hmm. from being a Christian.
0: I don't think so either.
1: It's an issue of interpretation. You know, when we, we take that out of this kind of weird um, pseudo-theological, pseudo-political environment mm-hmm. that has kind of become our public yeah. conversation. Yeah. And we actually set it inside the, the realm of, okay, why do you believe what you believe? All of a sudden we're talking about some of the fundamental differences between and by fundamental, I mean the, the core, yes, the core values, the, the core differences between different branches of Christianity and
0: different schools of thought within mm-hmm. Christianity. Cause there are a lot of those. And I don't think that's, that's missed in the conversation is people don't talk about the difference between the spectrum. You know, they want to talk about spectrums with gender. They want to talk about spectrums with sexuality. They want to talk about spectrums with everything, but Christian belief. Yeah. Christian belief is this one narrow ideological framework that makes you a bigot and that's, that's all it is in the media or you're uninformed or you're holding, you're a romantic holding on to old ideals that aren't applicable to our world anymore. You know, it's sort of, uh, Alan Watts talked about the progression from the myth of the, the potter. Right. So he talked about we had a myth that the only way to look at the universe was that God was a potter. And he sort of looked at it more as like a a spontaneous generation that fit with science, but that God was still there and that it was sort of a infinite intelligence and cosmos versus the old idea of your clay. God made you. He can do whatever he wants with you. And he said we sort of shifted from what he called that myth to the myth of. uh, He called it automation. So that the world is sort of just a a stupid machine yeah and that it's just sort of an evolutionary stupid machine and that people don't have any sort of value or worth that they're just um uh, the same as any animal or plant that there's nothing special about people and that that was just our own bias and sort of the materialistic reduction of man that came about in the from 1900 to to probably the modern day still you know sort of the ideas of richard dawkins yeah. And um, sort of the the getting away from um, anthropocentrism, I think that's the right word where you sort of only you look at the human species as what's the only thing that's important is sort of Kant's idea of here's human beings at the top of the hierarchy, and then there's these classes of animals and plants and minerals and et etc, and then you you sort of get this different myth from science, and then you have Einstein blow that up, right. Then you have Einstein come in here and say, oh, wait, no, your materialism and your evolutionary track is not 100% compatible. Your materialism is not 100% compatible with objective physical reality. And actually, physical reality is is connected, unified by space-time and these other uh, elements of physics that don't fit with your materialistic automatic viewpoint. So the world's actually a little more rooted in relativity rather than empiricism. And so then that sort of blows up the materialism. And now I think we're in this weird spot where we don't know what we're supposed to think anymore.
1: Yeah. So the question is, do you believe Genesis or not?
0: Yeah, that's the
1: yeah, question. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: yeah I'm, I'm tracking you there. And so
1: this is, you know, this is a real question that Christians are having to work with that now. Okay. We're, we're outside of kind of like the, um, the ethereal stuff that I was really having trouble navigating through earlier, now we're talking about something that I can I can get yeah. my teeth into. Yeah. Now we're talking about now we're talking about the Bible. Now we're talking yeah. about fundamental Christianity. Yeah. So the question is, as we develop our theology, should it shape our worldview? I would answer yes. Well, I think we both answered yes earlier. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, if you believe in God, it should change the the way you interact with the world and the things that are
0: around you. But it doesn't make us theocratic.
1: Uh well, I mean the theocratic We're we're talking all of a sudden about a, a, a like a political, a political entity system. enforcing religion. Yeah. A, people. I'm all for a theocracy. I'm, <laughs> I'm completely for a theocracy. Yeah. It's just, it's gotta be headed by Jesus Christ. Yeah. And see Jesus Christ I'm, in I'm,
0: here uh, right now. I'm a monarchist. I'm just yeah. waiting
1: on my King to return. Yeah, exactly. So in the meantime, I've got to shake the sphere of the world that's around me. Yeah. Um, you know, anything that I can touch with my ideas with my hands, Mm -hmm. And, um, and so as I do that, the the real question is, do I believe Genesis or not? Mm -hmm. Do I believe that God is personally involved in the actual creation? Mm -hmm. Do I believe that God has a very specific plan for my life? Mm -hmm. Do I believe that God has, has laid out the steps that are in front of me? And, and in fact, actually does care about who wins a football game. Yeah. And, you know, one of the interesting conversations I, I heard um, a couple of years back when Tim Tebow became a name mm-hmm. and uh, somebody who was in the secular world was trying to kind of poke fun at Tim Tebow, looked up and said, you yeah, does this a-hole think that God cares who wins a football game? Yeah. And I think that that secular mindset has a very juvenile idea of God. Mm-hmm. If there is an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present being,
0: doesn't he have to care? Well, yeah, he at least has to know who's going to win. Well, Even if you don't think yeah, he's so, influencing it and caring about it, he at least yeah. has to know who's going to win before it happens. Yeah, so then, and
1: then we're getting into some of the really fun stuff about, now we're talking about differences
0: in interpretation mm-hmm. as we approach those worldviews dictated by yeah. our
1: theology. So yeah. yeah so
0: like now we're talking about not just Genesis, but the difference between determinism and free will. Yeah, predestination versus Yeah, free predestination will. is the right yeah. word theologically. Yeah, 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 that's and okay. I've come from a philosophical background, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I'm yeah. still in those deterministic Determinism's yeah. got some other <laughs> yeah. stuff attached to yeah. it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah and a lot of scientists are determinists like sam harris and richard dawkins i think would be considered determinists yeah they'd make great calvinists if they Mm -hmm. just do yeah i think that uh they shouldn't dance either so they'd probably really make good
1: yeah yeah (laughs) i don't know i've never seen sam Harris. he might cut a rug you know yeah you
0: don't know sam harris might have some rhythm but i don't think richard dawkins has rhythm i think i can say that safely i'd be pretty sure
1: (laughs) maybe he does the charleston
0: really well yeah yeah Um, i don't know maybe he's yeah old school definitely yeah Richard Dawkins, if you ever see this, and you're great at the Charleston, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope I don't think Richard Dawkins is watching a podcast entitled "Jordan Peterson: The Reality of Christ." I no, know but kind of.
1: You know what? I mean, if, if if Richard Dawkins, if you ever do catch this, I would love to sit down and have a conversation with you about the world and the Lord who made it, and I'd, I'd, I'd love to sit down and get to know you. Um, put something in the comments. I, I'll make sure you it over <laughs> come over to the house. We'll yeah. have dinner. I'd love to sit down and speak with you.
0: Yeah. And I think that's another thing that's important that I talk about almost every episode on this podcast is having an open mind in the sense of you're not just going to surround yourself with people who think exactly the way you do.
1: Okay. So that now we're okay. Great. Um, you know, when we start talking about theology dictating worldview and how we respond and how we're at, um, obviously interpretations are different, but the fundamental interpretation of the Bible actually looks up and says, Hey, uh, Christians are called to make disciples of all nations. Mm -hmm. And so what that says is the people who don't agree with me, by and large part, I'm still supposed to go out there and find those people, have a relationship with those people. That should be a relationship that's centered around prostitutization. So I'm, I'm looking to, preach the gospel to these people, mm-hmm. tell these people uh, about Christ, hopefully yeah. through my relationship with them, bring them to a relationship with him that, that brings them to a, a place of grace. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. Um, and you've had interpretation, you've had every interpretation you can think of, of Christianity in the past. Oh yeah. You know, And that's one of the things that always happens is we sit down, we start talking about Christianity an an opponent of Christianity is always going to look up and say, well, but Mm -hmm. the church said this, look somebody inside the church has said everything you could possibly imagine to say about every single book, every single verse. Yeah. And and any topic that you want to come up with. Yeah. Um, So i I tell you what, let's not worry about what was said yesterday and somebody's Mm -hmm. going to, well, that's a cop out. Okay, fine
0: in a sense it is uh, yeah. but in a sense it's not because let's go ahead and talk about epistemology for a second sure no no sane epistemologist even the um like jeremy bentham like okay. the guys that are all about taking in all the data yeah even they have a statement that says you can't take in all the data to make a decision you have to get as much information as you can right. and then move forward so what you're saying there is like empirically and I hate to use that word, but no, when we're right. making a decision, you have to, in some sense, say we have to leave the past behind and live yeah. in the now and make a decision now, because if we keep looking back at the past, we're just going to be static.
1: Yeah. And, you know, where the rubber meets the road is, it, I don't, I am not really, ultimately, uh, affected or responsible for what some pope said no. in 1643. I don't no. know which pope that would be, but... But what some Pope said in 1643, um, what I am affected by directly and what I am responsible for is what I believe right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's one of the beautiful things about how God deals with individuals. Mm -hmm. Um, At the end of the day, um, as I look at the Bible, what it says fundamentally to me is it doesn't matter what your dad believed. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what your mom believed. What matters is what you believe. Mm -hmm. Um, What is your relationship like with God? And uh, one of the things that that, uh, as I'm teaching and as I'm interacting with the congregation um, that I'm a part of is I'm constantly saying the number one most important thing is your relationship with God. Mm -hmm. Everything else is secondary. Do you have a relationship with God through faith in Christ Jesus? If not, why are we talking about something else? let's refocus. Let's come back. Let's, let's look at what's important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I understand you had a horrible thing happen to you yesterday before we can deal with that tragedy.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Let's, let's start here. So, you know, that, that idea of where do we stop trying to parse data and where do we look up and say, here's where I am. Mm -hmm. How do I deal with the world that's around me? Mm -hmm. And, and ultimately where we get those ideas and and am I going to deal with that from my theology, my belief in God? Yeah. Or am I going to deal with
0: that from a secular viewpoint? Mm -hmm. Those are the things that really matter. Yeah. And I think that when you said rubber meets the road, I think that's exactly what we're getting at here is in, and through the framework of a public intellectual that everyone probably knows or has heard of at some point, I think it's a good way to look at, rubber meeting the road ideologically and rubber meeting the road with the culture war talking about Jordan Peterson. Yes. Coming back to Jordan Peterson. Yeah. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Cause he's a very rubber meets the road kind of um, he has a very rubber meets the road kind of message. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea that some people poke fun at of where he says, um,
0: uh, look, if you want to change your life, you got to start by making your bed. Which also is something a very famous commencement speech by a military commander said. Yeah. um, Navy Admiral. um, Yep. Gosh, I can't think of his name. Raven, I'm wanting to say or something like that. But But he said the same thing. He's basically like, if you start your day, not putting your room in order, your day's going to be disordered. And that's sort of Jordan Peterson's idea in different words. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So the, the Bible um, places this, this idea in a really great framework. I think it's, as a man thinks, so he is. Yes. And, you know, the idea of what you focus on, what you meditate on, uh, Jesus puts it this way. He said, um, the the, light, the eyes are the windows to the soul. If they're filled with light, you'll be filled with light. If they're filled with darkness, you'll be filled with darkness. Mm-hmm. What are you focusing on? Yes. You know, Paul, uh, as he kind of addresses the topic, he says, uh, you know, these things which are good, meditate on these things. Mm-hmm. And so the idea here is that um, if when I get up in the morning, I walk through a house that is entirely in disarray, mm-hmm. I'm looking at things that are in disarray. Mm-hmm. I turn on my phone and, and I, I, I fill my brain with people arguing. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to be in disarray. I'm going to be arguing. You know, so the, the issue here is this real simple biblical concept of, you know, focus on God, meditate on God, take in these things that are good. Um, the Jews have known this for a really long time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the The first prayer that you're generally taught as a,
0: a, a young Jewish boy. Oh, can is, you tell uh, people about your, just a brief thing about your background and your childhood so they know that you're coming from an informed perspective here? I think that's a really interesting part oh, of your story.
1: Uh, yeah, sure. So um, uh, i, I I was born at some point and, and uh, as that progressed, um, uh, my mother was, uh, was Jewish. Uh, her family was Jewish and at different times she practiced the Jewish faith. Uh, my, my father was Baptist, uh, at, and, um, Baptist family that he came out of. Um, so there were, um, uh, large chunks of time, uh, when I was younger where, um, my mother uh, essentially tried to uh, raise me or my sister kind of in a Jewish framework mm-hmm. um, and and tried to, to make sure we understood what that meant. Um, so one of the, the first prayers I was taught when I was a kid was uh, what's called the Shema, uh, Shema and it's uh, it's out of Deuteronomy chapter six. And it, it's this very basic prayer that starts off with this idea of um, love God with everything that you have. Mm -hmm. with, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this idea of focusing on him with everything. And then as, as we progress through that passage of scripture, what we run into is this, um, this idea where God says, when you get up in the morning, I want you to speak about me. Mm -hmm. When you go out of your house, I want you to speak out about me. When you come into your house, I want you to speak about me. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I want my word to be, in between your eyes and on your hand, whatever you're touching, I want you to see my word, mm-hmm. wherever you look, I want you to see my word. Um, when you get up, when you lie down, when you go in, when you come out, when you speak to your children, just all the time, focus on these things, speak, speak my word. So, um, it, it comes back to that idea that I think has resonated with Peterson. Yes. Um, yes. And as we, you know, as we start taking a look, um, Peterson kind of brings up some great, uh, questions, especially here recently where he said, Hey, look, uh, if you're a Christian and if you believe what you claim to believe, you know, what you claim to believe, um, it should have a very scary outcome. It should have a profound impact as yeah. well. And, and it should, um, if, if we have a fundamental belief in what the Bible actually teaches, um, then that I would agree with him, um, which is interesting because you're somebody that, uh, you know, as we look at Peterson, I think there's, um, like I said, there's an ever-developing viewpoint. And so from the Christian perspective, we'd say you're somebody that's struggling with their relationship with Christ, struggling mm-hmm. in their relationship with God, to really be able to define it or be comfortable in it. Um, and this person who's very intellectual, very self-reflective, is as he's working through this relationship looks up and says, Oh, wait a second. Here's this truth. That's very evident. Mm -hmm. If you believe these things, it should be very
0: scary. Mm -hmm. And it should, it should change the way you interact with the world. And yourself in some, in a lot of senses. I think that's a, that's a good time to sort of move over. And uh, hopefully If I can work some editing magic, I'll have the clip in the top corner of the video, but Scott and I are just going to have the audio here, so I'm going to go ahead and play that first video you showed me a few weeks ago of him. Sure. Um, This is, I think, the one that kind of went viral. I don't think the one with Dennis Prager that we're going to show later went viral as
1: much. No, the one from three years ago didn't get nearly the amount of traction.
0: So this one sort of got a lot of traction recently, so we're going to hear the audio from it, and we're sort of going to maybe pause at some point or maybe play through the whole thing, but we'll see.
2: So you can think about Christ from a psychological perspective and the the critic, the critic, my critic, this particular critic that I've been reading said, well, that that doesn't differentiate Christ much from a whole sequence of dying and resurrecting mythological gods. And of course, people have made that claim in comparative religion. Joseph Campbell did that and Jung to a lesser degree, I would say, but Campbell did that. But the, difference and c.s lewis pointed this out as well the difference between those mythological gods and christ was that there's a there's a representation of there's a historical representation of his of of his existence as well now you can debate whether or not that's genuine you can debate about whether or not he actually lived and whether there's credible objective evidence for that but it doesn't matter in some sense because this well it does but there's a sense in which it doesn't matter because there's still a historical story. And so what you have in the figure of Christ is an actual person who actually lived plus a myth. And in some sense, Christ is the union of those two things. The problem is, is I probably believe that, but I don't I don't. I'm amazed at my own belief and I don't understand it.
0: OK, so that's a good place to pause. So let's this first half has a lot of stuff in it that we can talk about. Sure. So um, the first thing is, is you would disagree with what he just said. Well, to some degree, um, but to some degree, i would, I would really, um, you know, supportive in where he's going. Yeah. It's sort of like <clears throat> he's, he's sort of wading through these things as a reality for the first time. And so I'll just point out the part that I think you would specifically disagree with is that part of Christ is a myth. Right. Well,
1: and, you know, let's, let's back up and take that for what it is. Um, the, the idea that every person has to, to settle on, of who Jesus is, um, everybody's going to have some part of that. That's wrong. Of course. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I'm, I'm not saying that as in, and I know that because they disagree with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I am sure that there are some, some conceptions about Jesus, that I'm probably wrong on. Yeah. Um, if I knew which ones those were, I would abandon them, mm-hmm. but I don't. So mm-hmm. I, I, I walk at it with a, a sense of humility of going, so I'm sure there's something about Jesus that I hold um, uh, in my mind, in, in my conception of him. That's, that's not accurate. Um, either it's all the way true or it's, or it's inaccurate. There's, there's probably something there that's inaccurate. So, you know, what he's writing it is that there is a myth that surrounds Jesus. That's true. And the question is, what is the myth and what mm-hmm. is the reality? Yes. And what are we going to base our belief on? Yeah. Yeah. How am I going to approach Jesus to try to figure out what's myth and what's reality? Mm-hmm. I do that fundamentally. I go back to the Bible. Uh, I look at the Bible as um, a, uh, a divinely inspired account by people who are historically extremely close to, to Jesus um, who are uh, either firsthand or secondhand recipients of the information and so I, I go back to that source I take that material I test it it's never failed me yet every time I test it it comes out to be true and so I apply that I go okay I'm going to try to use this information to develop mm-hmm. my idea of who Christ is mm-hmm one of the interesting things when we start talking about the reality of Jesus is you have to look up and say, "Well, what did you use as your
0: source mm-hmm. for figuring out who Jesus is?" The interesting thing is uh, the Gospels say that the Bible is, in a sense, Christ. Yeah. The, so the Gospels make this this remarkably radical claim
2: mm-hmm.
1: that um, that any inspired word spoken by God is, in essence, Christ.
0: The Logos. The Yeah, the Logos. Which is something Peterson talks about a lot in speaking the truth. Yes. What he's saying is that um, morality should be based on first principles rather than arbitrary uh values derived from a philosopher and so what he's talking about there is like when we talk about first principles we're talking about truth claims yeah and so what he's saying is your fundamental truth claim has to affect your morality which is what we mean when we say our theology should affect our worldview
1: yes yeah so um and which i could be wrong here but i I think when when peterson kind of addresses that uh, he kind of brings in a little bit of kind of the Greek idea of logos, yes, the, the Greek that's exactly philosophy, philosophy of logos, mm-hmm. um, and then he brings in kind of a, a union yes. uh, idea along with that, yeah, uh, or an archetype kind of model. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so you know when we look at, at the Bible, uh, or I say when we when we look at the Bible, the this this claim in the beginning was the word was the word was with God. The word was God. uh, Nothing was made that was made without him. And then we get down to verse 14 in John chapter one, it says that word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, It it makes this claim that look, uh, Christ is, if, if nothing else, we understand that here is God communicating with us Mm -hmm. um, in, in Christ. And, the inspired word of God then really can't be separated from who he is. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is as a fundamentalist, as I go back and I look at every single page of the Bible, um, I see Christ there. You know, when I see the, uh, the, the blueprint like description of the construction of uh, the tabernacle in the old Testament, uh, I see all these different little pictures of Jesus. mhm um, when I, I look up and I see, uh, the, the, the testimony, the, the description of, of the redemption of Ruth, mm-hmm. uh, in the old Testament, I see a picture of Jesus. Um, and so as I look at the Bible, I, I gather all these different sources of information on Jesus And it helps to give me a more full picture of who he is. Mm -hmm. And it comes back to that idea of, so for the fundamental Christian, we're saying, well, to know Jesus, we have to know the whole word. We have to know it in its entirety and in its context. Mm -hmm. Um, And it it comes back to this interesting question of, every person essentially has to make a judgment on who Jesus is Mm -hmm. in reality. In objective reality. Yes. Yeah. And so the question then becomes, what information are you going to use to make that assessment? Mm-hmm. And it's scary because I, I sit down and have a lot of these conversations with people about, well, who do you think Jesus is? And, you know, there are a lot of people out there that their viewpoint of Jesus is honestly formed by a novel that they read um, by you know, Dan Brown. Um, or, uh, you know, their viewpoint of Jesus is, is influenced by, um, a, uh, a, a teacher that they had in the eighth grade mm-hmm. who really made, uh, Norse pagan mythology really cool. Yeah. You know, and so the question is, where are you getting your information? Are, are you getting your information to come to a conclusion about who Jesus is? from your own life experiences, Mm -hmm. you know, whether we're talking theologically or or philosophically, that's a horrible idea. You know, don't define a donut by your experiences. Yeah, exactly. Because there might be a different type of donut out there. Yeah. So what if you've only
0: had a glazed donut and you see a guy carrying around a jelly fill that doesn't have a hole in it. And you're like, that's not a donut. That's not a donut. Right.
1: And so the, the real problem that we run into is when people look up they go, well, yeah, I know, I know who Jesus is. Yeah. Um, What are you basing that information off of? Well, uh, you know, uh, I go, Oh, you're, you're developing it off of a a worldview. Mm Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, we kind of run into then an issue of, well, is God developed by your worldview or should your worldview be developed by God? Mm-hmm. So, yes, yeah, some really great, really great ideas
0: that we have yeah. to start kicking around. We start asking the question, who is Jesus and how does he impact in your reality? Yeah. And so to give a little background on what where Peterson's coming from, I think it's important to know who Joseph Campbell is. So Joseph Campbell was a comparative mythologist from the early 1900s to the 1940s, I believe, was when he died. And um, his work is very influential both um, in popular culture and entertainment, in the entertainment industry, as well as in the intellectual world. And uh, I'll illustrate that that impact twofold. One is with um, the idea of comparative mythology itself. He sort of started that, in a sense, um, in America. And he sort of introduced these ideas to America, which was also sort of, he was a compatriot of Jung who Jordan Peterson is also highly influenced by and so um, he sort of compared all these different cultures myths we got Greek myths Roman myths uh, Mesopotamian myths uh, South American you know from the Mayans and the Incas and he sort of looked at the common threads between all of them and tried to define what we call the hero's journey and so the hero's journey is this linear path that all of these stories follow with their central characters and their central protagonists. And he sort of defined it. And so then when you see him define this hero's journey, which highly influenced Jung's psychology and Jung's worldview and his development of the idea of the archetypes that uh, are part of the collective unconscious that influence our thoughts without our um, cognitive awareness when he and Campbell sort of got these things together, then you see in the modern world, uh, a television show like Rick and Morty. Now you're going, what the hell are you talking about Hayden? Well, no, no, I'm tracking you here, go ahead. Yeah, so for people that don't know who Dan Harmon is and aren't real familiar with his work, you see him basing, Dan Harmon is the creator of both Community (sighs) and Rick and Morty, who I was obsessed with for a while and sort of followed his podcast and got into all of his stuff. And he bases, what he calls a story circle on the hero's journey, and so instead of it being linear, it's sort of this idea of a revolving circle of. And his whole thing is episodic television rather than serialization. You see him make very meta jokes about that on Rick and Morty. I'm not. I'm going to resist serialization. This character is too serialized. You know, we don't bring back people from season one. We don't do. You know, we have Morty as a Nazi saying. You know just do some old style adventures, old classic Rick and Morty adventures, you know? And uh, we see him be very meta with the hero's journey, but what it is is you have this sort of idea of the hero's journey of Campbell put into an episodic television show that gains massive popularity kind of out of nowhere on Adult Swim, which is a pretty small television network. You know, it's not like CBS. It's uh, It's not NCIS or Law and Order you sort of see this kind of take hold of the popular culture because it roots into what I think is our collective unconscious. And it sort of pokes at philosophical ideas and it sort of stirs them up from, <coughs> from what you would call the ether and sort of this, uh, this unconscious thing we all hold that we're not really aware of. And sort of Rick and Morty sort of taps into both nihilism, the response to nihilism, uh, the the terror of suburban life through Jerry. You see the frustrated, uh, underachieving wife that's uh, frustrated with her family and her, her kind of loser husband. And you see all these things kind of come together. And it's this really weird sci fi show that sort of taps into these deep rooted things that we're not really aware of. And so that's how you see. These ideas that Peterson's talking about, are not necessarily the reality of Christ, but just the the hero's journey and these things impacting us in ways we can't imagine. I think that's really why that show gripped the popular culture. But I don't know if you agree with that.
1: Um, so, as to why that show gripped the popular culture, I don't know. Um, I've, I've got some theories. But mm-hmm. um, what's behind the, the root of what you were just talking about there, if I can, I want to kind of address a little bit. And so it's this idea of the, the common myth or the shared mythology, right? Mm-hmm. And so this is a secular um, pushback against the gospel message. Yeah. yeah.
0: That's sort of what Peterson's talking <clears throat> about there um,
1: in some sense. In some sense. He he references it very quickly and then he kind of gets off of it mm-hmm. and he comes back to um, this idea that C.S. Lewis put forward mm-hmm. and, um, you know, Peterson takes it to this conclusionary idea that, that Lewis put forward of, look, if you look at Jesus Christ, the, the historical account of who he is, um, which is largely sourced out of the Bible, but if you, if you look at, at these truth claims about him, you have to come up with one of three conclusions. Mm-hmm. Either he was a liar, he was a lunatic, or he was Lord. Mm-hmm. But you, you kind of have to come to one of those three conclusions. And one of the things that the uh, the shared mythology concept tries to do is to um take the reality of Jesus or that he is a real person, has a real impact, and and take it out of that and say, well, since there are elements of um who the Bible says Jesus is mm-hmm. that line up with other elements of other stories, mm-hmm. they must be borrowed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and so the, the problem with that is first off, it's an intellectual fallacy. Of course it is. Yeah. Uh, the, the idea that, uh, well, you know, Hayden says his house is blue. Mm-hmm. Mike says his house is blue. Mm-hmm. Neither of them must live in a blue house. Uh, they're, they're, one Where did them's, you get that from? one of them is borrowing this information from the other. Yeah. Well, that's kind of ridiculous. No, they could both live in a blue house. Um, yeah, you know, there's
0: what if one of them's colorblind? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What if one of them is colorblind? So there, there there's a real gap there. You don't have any you don't have enough information to make a conclusion.
1: Right. And one of the things that we actually saw inside of Christianity, we had a real struggle for the identity of biblical interpretation over the past 20 years. Yeah. One of the things that we saw was something called the Jesus Project, and one of the, the byproducts of it was a group of people going through the Bible and saying, you know, look, uh, any information that's shared between Matthew and Mark obviously can't be true they're derived from a common mythology
2: <laughs>
1: and so what you want up happening is you if you follow that through its logical conclusion uh jesus's name wasn't jesus no which actually we know his name wasn't jesus right so <clears throat> the the idea here being though is this this idea of common mythologies um one of the the things that gets brought up all the time, and I love it. I get a huge kick out of it. somebody goes, "Well, you know, Jesus resembles all these other uh, resurrected mythologies."
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, not really. Not exactly. If you go through and you really start looking at them, it, if you don't take the 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 Facebook uh, meme kind of generalization of you know these statements, really these they don't they don't reflect each other very much but even if they did and so let's let's say let's say they they reflect each other entirely mm-hmm. except for these these important details yeah so what the gospel of christ has that is different from anything else is first off this concept that you as a person by your very nature are damned to hell mm-hmm. and that God, a holy God has sought you out and redeemed you, not by your own merit, not by anything that you can earn, but solely by his good pleasure mm-hmm. has sought you out and redeemed you by his own sacrifice, by his own suffering and by his own torment. hmm and that through that he has he has desired a relationship with you, or through that he's he's realized this he's he's brought to a realization this yeah, relationship yeah. that he wants to have you with you. Uh, almost got caught up in a real bad heresy there through misspeaking. but um, uh, he's brought to realization that he wants to have a real, he wants to have a a relationship with you. He's laid all that on the table. He's presented it to you. Every bit of the onus is on him. He has done this. And because of that, you have the ability to do this. You are then empowered to do these things. Mm -hmm. There's no other narrative throughout the history
0: of, of human existence that lines up with that. No, and, and just because the resurrection is involved doesn't mean that the whole story is exactly the same as these other shared mythologies. Absolutely. And, you know, from
1: the, from the fundamentalist standpoint, what I would do is I would look up and say, well, of course, the Epic of Gilgamesh reflects some elements of yeah. the biblical account of the, the flood of Noah. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that they're a common shared history. Yeah, Exactly. So, of course, that it reflects some of these things. Mm -hmm. Um, I I would say, well, of course, you know, these Greek mythologies hold this element of resurrection. Mm -hmm. um, Because I believe that there is a a, a spiritual battle that's being fought on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And that the elements of uh, the enemies of Christ uh, would take these promises that God made in the Old Testament and would weave them into these myths Mm -hmm. to try to discredit what was said so you know from a fundamentalist standpoint um, we look up and go well yeah there's a there's common things throughout these these different ideas mm-hmm. but it doesn't in any way destroy the
0: reality of who Jesus is and so getting to that statement I think really puts the second half of this video in a good place because that's exactly what Peterson talks about so let's go ahead and finish out that video that we watched and he sort of addresses that exact statement that you just made <laughs>
2: Because I've seen.
0: This is where he gets emotional.
2: Sometimes the objective world and the narrative world touch. You know, that's union synchronicity. And I've seen that many times in my own life. And so in some sense, I believe it's undeniable. You know, we have a narrative sense of the world. For me, that's been the world of morality. That's the world that tells us how to act. It's real. Like we treat it like it's real. It's not the objective world. But the narrative and the objective world touch. And the ultimate example of that in principle is supposed to be Christ. But I don't know what to... That seems to me oddly plausible. Yeah. But I still don't know what to make of it. It's too, at part because it's too terrifying a reality to fully believe. I don't even know what would happen to you if you fully believed it. If you believed in the story of Christ, or if you believed that history and, and let's say, the narrative make meat? Let's both, I yeah. think. I think you, because when you believe that, you buy both those stories. You believe that yeah. the narrative and the objective can actually touch
0: so yeah, so we have Peterson there sort of laying out exactly what you were talking about of wrestling with the question of who Christ is and what that means for your life and what it and we could sort of address that at the beginning of it impacting, it shouldn't mean that you enforce your theology on the world, but it shouldn't it your political views should be shaped by your theological assumptions.
1: Yeah, everything you do mm-hmm. should be shaped by who you think God is. Yeah. And um you know, one of the things that I think we're we're quickly coming to a, a collision course um, with is can Christianity fit into the culture that's around it today? And I think it can't. And I, I agree with you. I don't think that it can. Mm-hmm. I think biblical Christianity is... is becoming more and more. It's not that biblical Christianity is changing. I should say that biblical Christianity is more and more at odds with the culture that is around it inside the United States today, because as that culture has changed, it has moved beyond a tipping point of being able to
0: share space with biblical Christianity. And I think that that's true from both the conservative, if you want to call it that, and the liberal perspective. I think that, um, the sort of idea of the sort of bigotry that we see surrounding a lot of Christianity where it's like, you know, I'm not going to have dinner with someone who believes that abortion should be legal. I'm not going to interact with someone who um, is gay. I'm not even going to talk to them if they're gay. I'm not going to do these things if they're gay. And then on the other side, you have people that say, well, I'm not going to um, interact with someone who believes that uh, abortion should be illegal. I'm not going to share space with someone who uh, doesn't hold my viewpoints from the liberal perspective. I'm not going to accept someone who doesn't think that it's okay for a child to change their gender if they feel that's okay at age 13. I'm not going to interact with someone who doesn't think you should allow a child to determine whether they should take hormones to change their gender before they're 18. You know, it's sort of both sides of the aisle are not interacting with each other anymore. And you sort of get these bad ideas on both sides, culturally that are being enforced by, um, media narratives and, um, academic narratives and all these other different things. And you have bad ideas on both sides that are sort of fighting it out and I think that you have biblical Christianity here in the center, not agreeing with either side. That's not that's not compatible with right or left or whatever it may be. Yeah. Well, and the the uh, the modification of that statement that I would make is I would say biblical
1: Christianity is not in the center between right and left. It's above both. That's what I mean.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: And, um, you yeah, know, what I don't want anybody to walk away with is, well, that guy thinks that Christianity is a centrist position. No, I don't think that in the, in the slightest. No. Um, I I think that. um, Biblical Christianity is something that I've yet to see a single person attain. And I'm not going to see anybody attain, including the people at this table. Yeah. Including the people at this table. I'm chief among sinners. Mm -hmm. Um, And, it strikes at what Peterson said when he said, you know, it, it's it's scary mm-hmm. if we look at the implications of what it would actually mean to to believe. If we actually believe Jesus Christ is who he says that he is, mm-hmm. we actually believe what the Bible says, all of a sudden what it does is it tells me that to begin with, there's no such thing as Christian bigotry.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There's bigotry by a sinner who either claims to be a Christian or is a Christian, but has not matured in their faith past that yet. Mm -hmm. What it tells me is that Christianity, biblical Christianity is literally the perfect truth. Mm -hmm. And that all these things that we're doing that don't measure up to that are sin condemned by God and not just condemned by God, but condemned to hell by God. Mm -hmm. And if not for faith in Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for our sins and rose again, then we're stuck in that sin and we have no escape from it. And I can take that truth. I lay it out in the world. I go, yeah, that makes sense because I see the best meaning people in the world, people who take the shirt off their back and put it around a homeless man. Mm -hmm. But here's some issue over here that causes them to shirk back and recoil from somebody, whether it's the color of their skin or whether it's that they voted for John Kerry, or, or whatever the case is. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so yes, there are imperfect people all over the place. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we, the, the joke is that, uh, misusing the word church as if it's a building, which mm-hmm. it's not the fundamental use of the word, but the only perfect church
0: is the one that's empty. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, Well, that's what Peterson talks about. The only perfect union of these things is Christ. Is Christ, exactly. And Christianity
1: says, okay, Christ was perfect. He saved you who are imperfect. Now, as part of your worship of him, and as one of the outcomes of his spirit being inside of you, now you seek to live like him. And, uh, and love, you're never going to measure up. You're never going to measure up. And I love, you know, Paul kind of lays it out there. He says, "That which I would do, I do not. That which I would not do, I do continually." <laughs> it's like I, I, I just yeah, keep I love that falling statement. short. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's very much the case.
0: We're gonna, as Christians, re, what it means to me. The ulti- one of the things that I've found that it means for me is you're you're gonna be the best <laughs> failure. <laughs> at trying to live up to Christ, yeah, that you possibly can, you're be. going to be the best failure that you can possibly be. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. I like
1: that. That's a good. That's a nice little play there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so, yeah, this idea that you know Christ has to shape our reality. Are we all going to come to the same conclusions? No, it's like we said. We talked about difference of interpretations. Uh, are we even within our interpretations? Are we going to fail? Yes. I've got four children. That means I've got four people who. Till the day they die, I know exactly how horrible I am Mm -hmm. because they see me at my very worst. Mm -hmm. And then they hear me try to teach them the word of God. And the whole time I'm saying, look, this is the person that you're supposed to be. And they go, but dad, you, you're not that person. And I go, yes, and neither are you. So we're both going to try to get better today than we
0: were yesterday. Let's let's get together and let's try to be better than we were yesterday. And I think that this goes back to what Peter talks about all the time, is we need other people, other Christians, to make sense of the world. And not just to make sense of the world, but to make sense of our place in the world and our role in the world as Christians. And without other people, we can't tangle with the reality of Christ or the reality of the objective world. And I think that we need <coughs> we need... It's the idea of iron sharpening iron, the idea that we need other people to make sense of our place and what we're supposed to do. And and our call is to be in the world, but not of the world. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, you know, right there, I think if, there, if there's any statement that I agree with you just 110% on is, is that we're called to be in the world, not of the world. And we can agree on that because it's a biblical statement. Yeah. Um, and as we look at that, we try to parse out well, what is that supposed to look like? Um, we're going to come to different conclusions. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the reasons why Paul, uh, as he was guided by the Holy Spirit, wrote in the Bible, not to come to dispute with your brother over doubtful things. So he says, look, there are going to be things inside the faith that aren't, the bedrock things. They're not Mm -hmm. the things that the Bible says these are the absolute musts that you must agree on, Mm -hmm. that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for your sins, rose again, that you're saved by faith in him. Um, we got to agree on those things. Yeah, we got to agree on those things in order to to be called a Christian according to the Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of the other things are going to fall into a gray area Mm -hmm. that there's some room for doubt over predestination
0: versus free will um, different methods of baptism yes um, the way you take the Lord's Supper yes all these things all these things and Paul says mm-hmm. you know these things just
1: don't receive your brother to dispute over them mm-hmm. uh, in fact he goes through this big long thing of just go ahead and assume that he's wrong but you you're you're gonna build him up mm-hmm. There's just be okay with him believing something different and assume that you're wrong
0: about things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, one of the central teachings is you should always take the lowest place at the table. I love when Jesus gives us that analogy. He says, you take the
0: lowest place at the table. You know what? My favorite, I heard this the other day. It's like, Jesus knew he was going to die. And what did he do? He washed somebody's feet. He washed feet. Absolutely. So this is the model
1: that i am giving you. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we need more foot washing. Yeah. You know, Mm-hmm. Uh, we need more of that that idea of service inside the community of Christianity that says, "Hey look uh here 's my brother in Christ mm-hmm. I want to take care of this this brother or this sister uh, we 're not going to agree on everything yeah uh we 're going to agree on the important things, and we 're not going to argue about the other things mm-hmm. um, I, I I laughed myself silly internally about a, 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 something you said earlier. Yeah, I remember when I heard a guy say, I just don't understand how you can be a Republican and claim to be a Christian. This was 1995 or six. Mm -hmm. This was something somebody said to you? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I was uh, a young man, uh, not even an adult yet. He looked at me and said, I just don't understand how somebody can be a Republican and claim to be a Christian. Mm -hmm. Uh, You fast forward 20 years later, and you'll hear people say, well, I just don't understand somebody can claim to be a Democrat, or can be a Democrat and claim to be a
0: Christian. And well, if you voted for Joe Biden, obviously you don't believe in Jesus. Well, Right, so. You know, those sort of things, it's that yeah, same idea. Yeah, that idea. Um, I don't think there's
1: any one side of the aisle that has a, a, a deadlock mm-hmm. on um, you can, you, you, you still can or can't be a Christian and vote one way or the other. I would say Christ said you shouldn't be worried
0: about who somebody voted for. Uh, Well, I would argue there. I don't know that that's the case, but. um, uh, I think you should have dinner with them no matter who they
1: voted for. Yeah, absolutely. 110%. Um, You know, I think that. um, I obviously look up and say
0: your theology should dictate your worldview. Now, can I ask you a question that rubber meets the road? Would you ever tell somebody who to vote for from the pulpit?
1: From the pulpit? Yeah. Uh, Sure. Absolutely. So if somebody was running for president and Mm -hmm. they said, um, I believe that we should ban Christianity from the pulpit, I'm going to
0: tell everybody don't vote for that guy. Okay, fair enough. Now, let's say this. if somebody does not take a stance on Christianity that you believe is destructive, would you tell somebody who would vote for from the pulpit if neither candidate takes a destructive viewpoint towards Christianity?
1: Yeah. There's still plenty of, still plenty of scenarios where I would, um, if, if somebody looked up and said, uh, uh, um, we should, uh, we should take away every Arab, uh, Every person of every person of Arabian descent, we should take away their right to vote inside America. You
0: can't vote for that guy. Then,
1: then yeah, I'm going to stand in a pulpit and I'm going to say, "Look, this clearly, this very, very clearly, does not line up with what the Bible says you are supposed to do as a as a, a believer."
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Don't vote for that
0: guy. I'm absolutely going to do that. Okay. Um, so. That was a rubber meets the road thing that I don't think I'd ever asked you directly before. So yeah, I no, I don't, I don't think we've had that conversation. No, um,
1: and, and again, I don't think that theology can have a pass anywhere as far as worldview. Mm-hmm. Now, um, what I try to do is understand that at the end of the day, i I probably, no, not probably, at the end of the day, I don't care who you voted for when I take that issue and I set it next to, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? That's secondary. The, who you voted for yeah. is completely secondary. Completely secondary. So, why would I speak about the secondary thing
2: mm-hmm.
1: when the primary thing is what I'm supposed to be speaking of? Mm-hmm. So it's um, not a
0: focus in the pulpit.
1: Yeah, it's not a focus in the pulpit, and yeah, you know, anything I say from the pulpit, I feel has to be directly, divinely guided
0: god has to say okay you have to speak about this and what you mean divinely guided is often what you mean is based on based the fundamental on, truth of the bible uh, absolutely 110 percent. it has to be based on what's inside the word mm-hmm. so I just didn't want people to think that you thought God talks in your ear and says, you need to say this directly every Sunday. I want I, people to think that because that <clears throat> could be misinterpreted if they don't know what you mean by fundamentally based. That's a good point. That could be misinterpreted. Thank you for, for clearing that up. So yeah,
1: you know, I, I believe that it's, you know, I'm looking at, at the word and I'm trying to follow where it is that God leads me in the word and say what he leads me to say out of the word. And as I'm doing that, The primary primary focus should always be, hey, not who's this person voting for, but
0: do they have a relationship with Christ Jesus? And that's what Peterson's talking about is that's terrifying what that means. Yes. If it's true. Yeah. And so let's go to the second video. um, And this is sort of a different sort of theme. It's like what would it actually mean if you believed what you said you believed? And so I'm sure we're going to take a pause here in the middle, kind of like we did last time, but let's go ahead and get into the second video. Um, Cause I think we're about an hour 15 in already. And I don't want to go too far without getting to these. We have plenty of time.
2: You, uh, you have said on a number of occasions and in every, on every occasion that I have watched you say it, not a single person in the panel, you often talk on panels. Not one person has ever actually reacted to it. <laughs> I totally get it. Nevertheless, it's one of the most important things you regularly say. You live as if there is a God. Is that correct? Well, people ask me if I believe in God. You know, I just, I, I'm going to release a podcast about that because I, I answered that question for about two hours in Australia because people kept asking me that question, which I really don't like. I don't like that question. And so I I sat and thought about it for a good while and I tried to figure out why. And and then I thought, well, you you believe. I thought, who would have the audacity to claim that they believed in God if they examined the way they lived, who would dare say that to to believe, you think to believe in a Christian sense to actually, this is why Nietzsche said there was only ever one Christian and that was Christ. To have the audacity to claim that means that you live it out fully. And that's an, that's an unbearable task.
0: Okay. So there's a lot to get into right there. Just, just from the start, let's, let's talk about what that means. Yeah. So from your viewpoint, and I think there's three things we have to look at here um, to claim you believe in God is an audacious claim. So let's start with that. What does that mean to you?
1: Well, I think it's a, I think it's a gross miss on the mark. Okay. Um, And I think that it's a, a viewpoint that, I I hope he has refined a little bit. Um, This is a video from about three years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I would assume from the previous video that we watched, it's a viewpoint that has refined a little bit because I think in the last video
0: we watched, he's a little bit more comfortable with this idea of belief. And so let's be clear. uh, The last video we watched was from 2021, the first one. Yes. The last video we watched was from 2018. Okay. So this is Peterson three years later when he's sort of getting emotional and saying, I believe this is true. And I don't know what to do with that information Yes. here. He says, I act as if I believe this is true and that's audacious. Right. And so, so we see some growth there from point A to point B and point A being the second video, which could be confusing. So point A is the second video. Point B would be, I believe this is true and I don't know what to do with it.
1: Yes. And so I, I, you know, what I want to say is, first off, it, not to sound like Bill Clinton, it depends on what your definition of is is. Yeah, yeah. It depend depends on what your definition of believe is. I did
0: not believe. I did Christ not, was the savior of my life. That's pretty good. You get the thumb, though.
1: But, yeah,
2: but,
0: I did not believe. Yeah.
1: Um, so it's, it's amazing what's made into our public consciousness. Right. Right. Um, some guy denying having sex with a woman. (laughs) Um, so the idea here of what is belief and that's, that's the key question behind that statement that he makes. What is Mm -hmm. belief? Um, the Bible tackles this question a couple of hundred times. At least. Yeah, at least. And one of the things that it points out is that there's a difference between belief and faith. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea of belief, as in I cognitively acknowledge something. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love it when the Bible says that uh, you say you believe in Christ. Congratulations, the angels and demons believe in Christ. Yeah, uh, it's it, like it, yeah. it's like yeah. Look, you, those who are against him still believe in him. It's it's not believing whether or not he existed. Um, it's do you place
0: your faith. In him. It's like they, they always love that they said the devil knows the Bible better than most people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If we look at uh, the story of Jesus' and his temptation in the wilderness. Satan knows, or, well, I don't like using the word Satan because people have all kinds of ideas. Let's say. Evil knows as much about the Bible or probably evil knows more about the Bible than you do. Let's put it that way. Cause I don't like using the word Satan because people personify Satan and they make these weird claims about him that often aren't true. So let's just say evil. Well,
1: I'm going to go ahead and you, you can say evil. I'm going to use Satan. Okay. But, but, okay. Let's, but I'm going to go back to that. Okay. I'm going to say that. Yeah. I think Satan um, does. I think he's got more of the Bible memorized than you or I do. Yeah. Absolutely. percent. I would go back and say, I don't think he understands it. No, because one of the things that the Bible says is that we only have understanding of the Bible by the divine intervention of God's Holy Spirit. And he certainly does that, not have that the Holy Spirit. That. So, you know, when we start parsing out these little, these idiosyncrasies, there's an idiosyncrasy between faith and belief. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that um, the Bible lays out for us is this idea that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things that are not seen. Yes. And there's a couple different ways to translate that. Um, I'm going to stick with that particular translation because it, it, it highlights what I think is, is
0: the easiest for us to communicate. So perfect example. Just before you get into that, let's, let's, let's use your house analogy that you used earlier to talk about this. Sure. So if Mike calls you on the phone and says, Hey man, or let's use this, let's use a real example. Hey Hayden, I'm standing at your house. Is it blue? I say no. It's weeping brick with blue with blue siding. What's your license plate number? I tell you mine. Okay, I'm here. So let's put let's take this. Okay. I have faith that you know what the color blue is. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because it, it it affected your perception. Yes. So your your perception was in my driveway. My house is blue because you can only see the siding. Right. From my viewpoint, my house is brick. And blue, because I look at the front and the side of it. Right. My house is objectively real. Yes. And I have faith that you know what my house is. Yes. When you're there. Yes. So I don't see that you're at my house, but I have faith that when I walk out the door, you're going to be there. Yeah. 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 So, and, you know, let's say that this. happened this morning before the podcast, just so nobody's lost. So let's take this let's break this down a little
1: bit further. Talk about the difference between the subjective and the objective. And that's what Peterson's ultimately wrestling with. Mm-hmm. Subjectively, you and I have two different perspectives. Yes. Objectively, the house is the house. Mm-hmm. God is God. Doesn't matter if I'm looking at it from the wrong angle. Well,
0: there's no wrong angle to look at it from. It's still the house. See, I would disagree. Here's now, I don't mean theologically. I just mean the house. There's no wrong way right. to look at the house. There's wrong ways to look at it. Objectively, the house is always the house.
2: Yeah.
1: Subjectively, if I'm looking at it from an angle with bad lighting, if I'm looking at it from a perspective where I'm colorblind, if I'm looking at it from a, a place where it's obscured by halon gas and it's causing the color to look differently, doesn't matter whatever the case is regardless of my subjective perspective, Mm -hmm. the objective truth of the house is always going to be the objective truth of the house. Here we come into this very important question about Jesus Christ and the reality of Jesus Christ, the reality of Jesus Christ. So what Peterson is acknowledging here is here's this weird place where the objective of reality of who Jesus Christ is, is somehow, brought into agreement with my
0: subjective perception and it changes a life. I don't know what to do with that information. You see, he breaks down and says, I don't know what to do with this information yeah. because it, it there's an implication behind all of this, that there is a
1: divine God who has, has bent every perception and bent every, every idea, Idea of what we think should be right and wrong and has transcended that so that he can take you this finite little subjective thing and bring you close and give you part in that which is infinite and objective and eternal and eternal and it is scary when you look at the difference between infinity and finite it's scary when you look up and realize that that means all my whole existence to a just and holy God who has every right to condemn me to hell. All of a sudden we fall into this thing where the Bible says it's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of knowledge. And I think that's where Jordan Peterson is at. I think he's at this place where he's beginning to understand. And it's scary because you're literally standing
0: on the edge of an eternal fall. It's as if you're at the top of the mountain and all you can see surrounding you is the ocean, yeah. the scary, unknown, vast, infinite ocean. That yeah. is God, the wind, the mighty wind that's stirring on the mountain that could overtake you and plunge you deep into the depths is God.
1: Yeah. And he's got this, this stark reminder that he's not worthy. And he, he clearly points us towards that. He says, look, I'm strangely comfortable with the faith, but there's a scary implication because now we can reference back what he said, obviously the mindset,
0: what he said in the Prager interview, I can't live up to that. I can't claim to believe in God because I don't live up to what believing in God means. Yeah. And I love that humility. Yeah.
1: And the only, you know, the only thing that he's missing there, the only thing that he's missing is the grace that comes through faith. The only thing that he's missing there is where belief—what he's calling belief—which what he actually needs is faith,
2: mm-hmm.
1: not belief. Faith, right? Where he puts his faith in God. and says, wait a second—an objective God, this this infinite, holy, just God. The fact that He has dealt with me this this subjective thing and that he's brought me to understanding this truth means that he's reaching out for me it means that he's calling to me and it it, it means that he's the only person that can say me i can't meet him he had to come meet me that's the only thing that i think peterson's missing there
0: and well i think that's what he means when he says i'm strangely comfortable with the idea that christ has met me on the road where the narrative meets the objective and i think he's just missing that faith i think he thinks he has to believe the right thing which is the trouble with so many christians as we try to believe the right thing and we realize we're never going to believe the right thing
1: yeah and see what i would say is that he is he's unfortunately he's on this path that christianity struggled with for a long time it, it it's called performative salvation he doesn't have to live up christ already lived up for us right and so then we seek to live because he has given us life. And it's it's this beautiful idea that's laid out for us. And it's something that many Christians have struggled with. And, and let's just, let's assume for a second, let's, let's change the subjective. Let's assume that you're not a Christian, right? Let's, mm-hmm. you're, you're just this guy who, when I look at you and I say, man, you tell me about your relationship with God. You look at me and you give me the answer that I usually get, which is, I mean, you know, i'm think, doing good we're doing good yeah i think god and i are good i mean you know i, I try not to hurt people
0: Um I try to do good things yeah, I, I try, try to, to try to help people i try to give you know i try yeah. to give a little bit of my money i try to you know not be selfish i try to live up to you know what what god wants for my life i try to live what god wants for me
1: yeah and so this brings us back to that question where you yeah, kind of want to look at that guy and go uh, tell me how you got your information about who god
0: is well, you know, man, I sort of, you know, my parents right. told me about him, and then right. I sort of went to church and Sunday school, and, you know, they, they told me to come down and pray this prayer, and I prayed this prayer, and ever since then, I've sort of been trying to, trying to stay on the right path.
1: Yeah, so I think, you know, what's happened with Peterson is Peterson has gotten beyond that, that, that
0: undeveloped view of God. Well, he spent 20 years wrestling with with totalitarianism. Yeah. And he's sort of seen that without God, this is sort of where the world goes. It's like we get the 20th century. Yeah. So without God, we get Nazism, we get Stalinism, we get Maoism. Yeah. It's like, if we get if we let these uh, viewpoints that are anti-God run the government and run the world, we're in a bad place.
1: Yeah, yeah. nihilism sucks. Nihilism <laughs> is terrible. Yeah.
0: So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
1: so Peterson has he, you know, in doing this, he's seen who God is in part. And he goes, wait a second, that scares me to death. And so, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. So when we had that conversation, that guy goes, well, I think me and God are good. You know, that's where my relationship with that person has to change a little bit. So what I'm trying to do at that point is look at this person and say, I want to give you a little bit of my perspective. Mm-hmm. so I want to bring that person into my life I want to put them beside me I want them to eat dinner at my table I want them to come hang out with me because I want them to see is that I live in this reality where I look up and go my very best is not okay for God my righteousness is as filthy, filthy rags, rags before God that's it exactly man mm-hmm. and so I'm, I'm trying to show them that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God that there's no one righteous no not one and that yeah hey man I get that you think you're a great person but the best person is still unholy.
0: And so let's, this is the second half of that video. So let's get into what Peterson says about um, not, not living up to believing in God and sort of what that means for him.
2: Yeah. In some sense, to be able to accept the structure of existence, the suffering that goes along with it and the disappointment and the betrayal and, and to nonetheless act properly, right? To aim at the good, with all your heart, right, to, to dispense with the malevolence and your desire for destruction and revenge and all of that, and to face things courageously and to tell the truth, to speak the truth and to act it out. That's what it means to believe. That's what it means. It doesn't, it doesn't mean to state it. It means to act it out. And unless you act it out, you should be very careful about claiming it. And so I've never been comfortable saying anything other than I try to act as if God exists because God only knows what you'd be if you truly believed. I mean, if you think about it in some sense, that's the central idea in Christianity is that if you were capable of believing, it would be a transfiguring event a truly transfiguring event. And I know people experience that to one degree or another, but we have no idea what the limit of that is. and We have no idea what the possibility is within each person. If they lived a life that was maximally courageous and maximally truthful, you know, because maybe you're running at 60% or 70% or 20% and at cross purposes to yourself. God only knows what you'd be if, if you believed. And so, well, I act, I try to act like I believe, but I'd never claim that I manage it because it's too, it's it's a lot to manage properly. And you have to be careful about claiming to manage things that you can't manage. And so that's part of the answer to that question. It's a great answer as it happens.
0: <laughs> so what's your impression of what he says there? Well,
1: it's. I'm, I'm looking at somebody who, um, through a lot of study and a lot of inter- introspection and what I think is divine intervention, has come to understand a, a vast portion of the truth that's laid out for us in God's Word, mm-hmm. is that yes, if you have faith, so and like going back to that the technical definition of faith that's given to us in the Bible— Substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not yet seen. Substance of something that's hoped for, something that is hoped for, something that is is out here. It is the substance. It's the life-altering aspect. Somebody says, I have faith in Christ, but that doesn't change my life. Well, then you don't have faith. Because faith takes Christ,
0: which is what we hope for. Which is what Peterson says, when if you really believe this, you'd be acting it out in the world. Yeah, it'd be changing you. It would be trans- he says transformative, and what we
1: say um, in in orthodox uh, reformed theology is regenerative, born again, born again. That's right. And so you you've got to be changed, and and what happens is by by having faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit indwelling us, that is that. Accomplishment of that change, God changes us. And then we believe the Bible teaches that there's this ongoing process called sanctification, where the Holy Spirit, in interacting with you, and again, back to something you said earlier, placing people around you to build you
0: up, edify, and encourage Can you forward, it. exhort. Can you define edification just for people who aren't Christian yeah. or don't know that word? Yeah, so edify means to build up.
1: Mm-hmm. So, and there's an implication of teaching. Yes. But so, so edify is to build up. to it's ex- living and teaching. Yeah. And so to exhort is to encourage forward. Paul says edify and exhort one another mm-hmm. with words of comfort. So we build each other up. We encourage each other forward. God says he's placed all these different people around us for the equipping of us as individuals mm-hmm. so that we can accomplish the works that he has set out for us. So this idea is what Peterson is getting at is actually the end state of Christianity. Mm-hmm what he's missing is the between here and there where because of our faith, God begins this process of sanctification, uh, which means taking something we get, we get words cheapened Mm -hmm. by our misuse of them to sanctify something literally means to wash it and set it aside. That's the process. God is, is taking us. He is perfecting us. He's washing us. He's cleansing us. It's this process of, turning us into something that can have a holy
0: purpose. It's like in those hymns when they say, uh, he washed me white as snow. Yes. Yeah. Talking about sanctification.
1: Yeah, it's not a xenophobic kind of thing. No. It's,
0: it, it's, it's not a, it doesn't mean he washed your skin white. <laughs> Jesus wasn't white. <laughs> right. Let's be clear. Jesus yeah. was a Middle Eastern Jew. Yeah, yeah He was we, not white.
1: Yeah, we're, we're, yeah. We, we could speak pretty confidently that he was probably not white. Um, so, you know, we look up and we go, yeah, this is about taking me and cleansing me, making me pure, setting me aside. And it's this ongoing process until the day of what we look for fundamentally is the resurrection. That is the completion of that work.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then ultimately for him to continue that work with the rest of the world. And all this is laid out in the gospel, which is why you have to stand on the gospel. Yeah, absolutely. It's like uh, the reality of Christ means you stand on the solid rock of Jesus. Yes. And you stand on that rock and and you don't build your house on the sand, which I think a lot of times when we sort of try to combine secular ideas and when we combine secular ideas and we combine cultural ideas and when we combine uh syncretic ideas from other religions okay so i had a very interesting experience yesterday okay and i think i'll share it with you because i think it makes sense i went to barnes or not barnes i went to mckay's yeah and i always go to the philosophy section the christian section and the um world religion section and so i went to those and the christian section is full of books there's tons of bibles there i go to the buddhist section it's full of books um, I go to the hinduism section it 's full of books. Uh, I go to the astrology section and it 's empty <laughs> yeah, so everyone got all the astrology books. I go to the conspiracy theory section it 's empty. yeah <laughs> I go to the devotional section it 's full
1: full oh, yeah uh,
0: and so we have these people since making the world out of these bad ideas that we sort of there are elements of astrology that are true in the sense that what the world was at the time you were born affects you. That is an idea in astrology that is true. Now the way astrology lays that out is wrong. Yeah. It's kind of ridiculous, but yeah. And it's like, I thought we were past this. Yeah. Like I thought the eighties was when you walked up to someone and said, what's your sign, man? You know, it's like, so now we're back to what's your sign. Well, you know, we probably are, uh, which your generation is probably a lot
1: closer to um, understanding the popular culture than mine is, right? Uh, my, my generation is just passing out of the popular culture.
0: You're kind of the middle to end of Gen X. Uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm the end of Gen X, yeah. yeah. Um, and so I'm, I I'm am right at the end of millennial. I'm the sort of the last millennial.
1: Yeah. So, so, you know, in the popular culture, as I'm observing it kind of from a third party perspective almost,
0: uh, but still close enough that I can kind of understand most of the language. Through your ministry of people that are younger than you in church. Yeah, it's got a lot to do with it. It helps mm-hmm. me out a lot
1: um, yeah. as far as just kind of hearing things and seeing things. But, you know, as I'm looking at these things, it, it's crazy to me but it makes sense when I read the Bible
0: Yeah, at some of the different things that people are grasping at right now. Uh-huh. And, Spirituality that's separated from any kind of theology. Yeah. And,
1: uh, you know, like I'm going to, I'm going to come into this idea of objective subjective and what are we basing things, our realities on, um, I'm, I'm going to kind of bang on something for a second if, if you'll permit. Go me. ahead. Um, so like, let's take a look at, at at people identifying as Norse pagan, mm-hmm. so this is a trend that's popped up over the past couple of years. I find entirely fascinating. So I got a video
0: for the first time on TikTok of a Norse pagan yesterday. Did you? Okay, yeah, did. all right.
1: Um, so uh, I've I've run into more of these people here recently, um, and I, I find it fascinating that somebody I, we're talking and I say, you know, uh, what do you do for a living? And you know, well, I'm a auto mechanic or whatever. You okay? Uh, what do you do for a living? Oh, I I do. Uh, uh, I'm in sales. I'm, yeah, I'm in sales or I'm an electrician, whatever. You're, okay, that's cool. And inevitably, one of the next questions is, so um, you part of a local church body? What's your relationship with God like? Um, and when somebody looks at me and says, well, I'm Norse pagan, I go, what? <laughs> Fascinating. Yes. Well, let's talk about this. Because I understand how somebody wound up Jewish. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I was kind of raised Jewish, so I, I get that. I understand how somebody winds up they say, well, I'm uh, Anglican. Okay. You probably raised in that. Um, somebody says, I'm Muslim. Okay. Get that. You're probably raised in that. Maybe you were converted to it. Whatever. And somebody says, I'm Norse pagan. And I go, I'm... really? <laughs> yeah. Because people from Norway aren't even raised in, as a Norse pagan. Mm-hmm. So, um, So I doubt you were raised in it. So you had to be converted. But like 10 years ago, I didn't know there was anybody to convert you to it. And Incidentally, as I speak to most people, almost none of these people, nobody that I've met so far was proselytized into Norse paganism. Do they find it on the internet? That's a good question. And I haven't gotten a sufficient answer. If you're Norse pagan. Comment below. Comment below. Yes,
0: please comment below if you're Norse pagan and let us know where you found the ideas. Yeah, because I want
1: to have a, a an in-depth conversation. I, you and me, we need to get to be friends. So the the interesting part about this is, as I look at it, and I say, "Well, what do you base these beliefs off of?" Again, I, I get this kind of well. And it, it, ultimately, it's well. This is what looks good to me ultimately, and it's phrased a lot of different ways, this is what looks good to me. And my first reaction to that was to be very dismissive. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay, buddy. But as you look at it, one of the things that comes out is there's a lot of Christians that their Christianity is really based on the same thing.
0: Well, this is what about it. This is what about the faith looks good to me, so that's what I'm going to live. Yeah so I I don't know about that whole like it changing my reality and change transforming me as a person I kind of like who I am so I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing yeah
1: and and blood said it's without that kind of cognitive awareness but yeah what we wind up doing is our
0: perspective forms our theology instead of our theology forms our perspective and so can we talk about a statement I made about a month ago to you that you said you didn't hear a lot of people say which is that I don't. Okay, we're reading the Bible and I say to you in Bible study, I don't like what God did there.
1: Yes. Yeah. It was one of my favorite things you've ever
0: said. Yeah. Yeah. So can you tell me what that meant to you when I said that? Uh,
1: Well, yeah. What it meant was, praise God, here's this guy that is introspective enough and God has, has opened his eyes to see that, yes, we don't like God. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those things, that it's really hard to get at first, and as we go through it, we understand it better. There are multiple conversations that God has with people in the Bible where he says, you don't think the same way I do. And uh, one of my favorites is what he says to Job. He says, I want you to stand up like a man and answer me. Gird your loins. Is that what he says? Or gird your something. and uh, uh, Well, he says gird your loins, I think, someplace else. But uh, where I'm speaking of, thinking of specifically, he says, uh,
0: stand like a man and prepare yourself. So ah, okay. it, it's, it's mm-hmm. kind of like this. All right, stand up. It's like when Peterson says, stand up straight with your shoulders back. That's yeah. rule one in one of his books. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: So it's say, I want you to stand up and I want you to answer this question for me. He says, where were you when I framed the world? Mm, that's a good one. Why should I take counsel from you as yeah. to what is good and what is not? Yeah. And it's one of these things where we miss the fact that God calls us out on you and I don't see eye to eye. What you call good and what God calls good are two different things. Mm-hmm. What you call bad and what God calls bad are two different things. And you were making that statement of saying, I acknowledge that God's holy and I'm not. And one of the ways I know that is, because right now I'm looking at this and saying, I don't like what God is doing here. Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting is that's one of the, uh, that's one of the secular uh, arguments against God. I think it's one
0: of the biggest ones is I don't like what God did. So yeah. how can you be God?
1: Yeah. Your God doesn't meet up with and how it's phrased usually is your God is immoral. And I go, no, no, no. My God doesn't meet your morals.
0: My God doesn't meet your moral standard. Yeah. Your
1: moral standard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're entirely accurate there. My God doesn't mean your moral standard. The problem is. He's the standard. He's the standard. And you're not the standard. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it it was one of my favorite things I've ever heard you say. Uh, I spent spent a couple of hours kind of on a high uh, (laughs) after after Bible study that night because I'm going, yes, yes, yes. It's one of the things that I'm always trying to get these guys uh, to understand is that. There are a lot of times in my life I want to look up and go, God, that's not fair.
0: I don't like that.
1: I don't like that. Um, It's not the choice I would make. And what I'm essentially
0: saying is, God, you're wrong. Well, something that's interesting that you said to me is you posted something on Facebook a few weeks ago, and you said it to me in the past before you posted it, was that if someone were to look at my life objectively, it would be full of bad decisions. Yes, absolutely. And (laughs) you took a picture of your daughter and you said... I've made a lot of decisions that a lot of people would look at and say, that was really stupid. That was a bad decision, but thank God I'm sitting here with my children right now. Yeah. And I thought that was just this beautiful, hopeful thing in the midst of all the turmoil that's going on in the world is that even though your decisions may not be looked at as good by the world, like you're still saying, I'm glad I'm here with my children.
1: Yeah. Well, and in fairness, you know, retrospectively, a lot of those decisions I look at and go, that was a bad decision. Yeah. But you know, that's this, this, underlying thing that's behind everything else inside the Bible is this theme of grace where God says, you know what? You don't see things the right way and you make bad decisions mm-hmm. and I'm going to choose to redeem you anyway. And I go, man, Lord, you love me. That's what parents are supposed to do with their children <laughs> if they love them. Well, and that's, you know, that's one of the beautiful things about how God relates himself to us. He realizes that, we are subjective
0: and i think it's important that we address the language we use about god is we're using the language that's in the bible we're not saying that god is all like he's not just a man like, we're not saying when we say no. he, God, we're not saying he, like God's this guy in the sky with no, a No, 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 no. I want to make sure we're not using that language to reduce him. No, no, we're, we're using the language that he uses to communicate with us. And we're using that as a, the personification is because that's how he communicates with us.
1: Yeah, and, you know, when we look up and we realize that, you know, there's a reason that God says, um, hey, I'm going to commun- I'm going to relay myself to you as in this instance as a father. Mm-hmm. I'm going to relay myself to you in this instance as a king. I'm going to relay myself to you in this instance as a prophet. I'm going to re- relay myself to you in this instance as a high priest. We have a very limited scope. and we cannot take in God in his entirety even moses only got to see his backside yeah even moses only got to see the backside i don't think it's an accident god words it that way mm-hmm. it says i show you a portion at a time mm-hmm. because i'm trying to get you to see a little bit better today than you did yesterday and i think
0: that's important to see point a to point b with peterson he saw a little better in 2021 than he did in 2018 yeah yeah and you know for me and what i'm hoping is that what we're witnessing here
1: is the conviction of the holy spirit and that god is going to bring Jordan Peterson to a place of faith, and that's that, that's my, my prayer and my desire. And I'm going, Lord, you know, what a testimony this would be. That I'm really hoping that this is what happens here. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether or not that ever happens, it's not up to you or me. Yes, that's it's certainly not up to the two people sitting at this table. <laughs> but there's a great abject lesson for us here, where we can, from a third party, see and go, look. This is an intelligent
0: dude. Mm -hmm. A really smart guy who's had a lot of time to look at this stuff.
1: Yeah, and God is working with him and God is wrestling with him and God's showing him these truths. And so sometimes one of the things that happens is somebody tries to attack Christianity, they go, an intelligent
0: person doesn't believe that stuff. Well, here's a guy with a PhD. Yeah, uh, look,
1: this dude's smart. You may not agree with his conclusions, but you got to look up and go, he's smart. Objectively. Yeah. 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 (laughs) It's cute. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. (laughs)
0: Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Objectively,
1: this guy's smart. (laughs) Um, So, you
0: know, I'm going to take that dismissive claim and I'm not going to give it any real weight. Well, I think it's a good, important thing to say that 70% of scientists believe in God. I I didn't know the number was that high. I think it's like 60 to 70%. That's,
1: that's, that's good. You know, um, one of the problems is that we have um, we have an academic environment in America today that has become very uh, hostile. Yeah. Well, hostile and kind of uh, monotone and boring. Yeah. And uh, you know, I wish that we were looking at younger Christians and saying, Hey, don't be afraid to
0: get into the sciences. Well, and here's the thing: is like, why do we have to separate science as Christians? Like, okay, just because you believe Genesis is literal doesn't mean you can't be a scientist. It just means you might not be able to experiment on that fact directly. Well,
1: well and I would argue, you know, I would argue some of that. But to
0: your point, exactly. Look, I'm I'm willing to bet that. Um, now, I would say a lot of scientists probably don't believe a literal account of Genesis. Well, might be the case. Yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm willing to bet that if you,
1: if you really slow down and you take a look, that throughout most of history, there have been some really immense scientific strides that were taken by people that believed the Bible
0: literally. I think, uh, I don't know if Isaac Newton was one of them maybe, uh, I was trying to think of a scientist that probably believed, I would say that perhaps um, someone in the Catholic Church, like if you look at uh, the epistemology of St. Thomas Aquinas, I would say that he was very scientifically uh, influential to a lot of scientists, rather than
1: Yeah, probably. Um, But, you know, as, as you look at me, okay, well, there's, you know, people that have believed that have made accomplishments. Well, okay. You know, there are people that didn't believe that have made accomplishments too. So
0: obviously that's not like a a deciding factor on whether or not you can be a scientist. Scientist doesn't science doesn't really care what you believe kind of like God. Right. I mean, God does care what you believe, but he's not, it doesn't affect him. Right. right? What you believe doesn't affect science or God. Yeah.
1: You're talking about abject or object truth. Yeah. And yeah. And so, you know, this idea that, you know, look at, you look up in history you're gonna see a lot of people that believe so that doesn't rule out being a scientist but if we take this idea okay the central truth claim of christianity is that the bible is true Mm -hmm. well if science is the seeking of truth well if i really believe what i say
0: i believe then science is always going to bring me back to the Bible. Well, they're going to be, they're not going to be at cross purposes. Right. They're not going to be cross purposes. And now, so now if I, think, I
1: really believe this, yeah. I should be encouraging people in science.
0: And I think that there can be a spectrum of that. And I think that's why you say just because someone doesn't believe a literal account of Genesis doesn't mean they're not a Christian.
1: Yeah, no, I, I look up and say, just because you don't believe a literal account of Genesis doesn't mean you're not a Christian. I think you're a Christian with a deficient theology. Well, I would say your theology is deficient, right? And that's yeah, and that's you know, it's okay to look up and say, "Hey, here's my brother in Christ. We disagree here. Obviously, I think one position is sufficient, and the other position is deficient." Or I wouldn't hold it, right? Yeah, or I wouldn't hold it. I'd change my my mind. Yeah, Um, but I encourage people in science. When you look, science is not anti-Christian. Christian Christian is not anti-science. We need to be encouraging young Christians to get into the sciences not to to work some kind of bad science not to but, say well i'm going to make the bible true by doing science this way right no but to practice good science because if i really believe this is the truth why would i fear
0: study for the truth that doesn't make good sense well and i think that's where the problem comes in is people think well i don't understand this so therefore it must be untrue yeah that's that's Well, lot that people said that about einstein well, look,
1: people said that about Einstein, and in fairness, they've said it about virtually everything throughout history. Said it about Galileo. Yeah. I mean, it, was, it goes back to the old, there be dragons here. Yeah. Anything I don't understand, let me just stay away from. And what I would encourage people is, you know, we've created this idea, you know, talking about objective versus subjective. We've created this idea that there is a fundamental core of knowledge that, most people are never going to understand. So we don't approach it. We just take the word of the high priests that orbit that, and we, whatever, whatever those scientists, high priests, whatever, tell us, well, okay, that must be the case. Well, I mean, look, we can't decide whether coffee's good for you or not. Science has a great history of being wrong. Yeah. Science has got a great history of being wrong. Our interpretations of facts and ideas are constantly shifting we still, you know, we're still trying to figure out how a bicycle works.
0: I know how people who love science claim to believe in evolution, but then they don't want science to evolve.
1: Yeah. Well, that's, Especially that's, in
0: physics. That's a good point. Yeah. Physics is kind of a really crazy place where we've
1: got a,
0: a real huge disconnect right now. Well, it's like, they're trying to shoehorn like, okay, let's make these ideas from the forties and fifties. Yeah. Work. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Even I, though we might be trying, we might need a new framework.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the, the great part about this is if we take this and we bring this back around to where you and I look up, it's a great conversation about, hey, don't put carts before horses. Don't let a worldview dictate your theology. Let your theology dictate your worldview. Mm-hmm. Make informed decisions. Well, what are you basing your information off of?
0: Is it objective or is it subjective? Yeah.
1: Ask yourself the question, have I really delved into this? Have I really sought out the truth, or did I get lazy somewhere down the line? Um, and you know, these are great ways that we refine ourselves as Christians. It, and as a fundamentalist, I think they always bring us back to the Word. Um, and I encourage people, you know, as we're going through these questions, go to the Word. I love what the Bible says about itself. It says,
0: test it test all things and keep that, which is good. Yeah, Paul says test all things and keep that, which is good. That yeah. doesn't mean don't do certain things because that aren't expressly prohibited. Cause you think it's going to be scary or dangerous, right? Test it. So I take the Bible.
1: If I claim this is the truth, you come back to what Jordan Peterson says. If you believe it, live it out. If I believe this is the truth, take it and test it. If it really is the truth, it's going to hold up. And, you know, and I'll stand here and go, it's held
0: up for me so far yeah well i think that's a great way to to kind of wrap up what we're saying here i think we've gone about hour and 45 minutes two hours so i think that was a great discussion i really appreciate your time scott
1: anybody that's able to sit through you and me talking for an hour and 45 minutes you're amazing put a comment down below yeah say i made it too yeah
0: yeah yeah. uh, so it's like three different groups of people i I need to have a conversation with i want to get to know but yeah Yeah. Yeah, so thanks for having me here man yeah thanks for being here and we'll definitely do it again soon probably hopefully not eight months from now but this has been Hayden's happy hour. Uh, thanks for joining me. I want to thank my guest, Scott Thomas. Uh, he's part of New Beginnings Baptist Fellowship. Is that correct? Yeah. So we're having church camp here in about six weeks. Um, if you want any inf- more information on that, you can find my links in the email if you've got anybody that wants to come to that. Um, Scott is always available on his social media. Um, he's always available by phone, show up at his house. Absolutely. He's got, he's got an open door policy.
2: Yeah,
0: I really appreciate his friendship and his time. And uh, I want—I appreciate uh, the ideas of Jordan Peterson. I appreciate what he's doing. And I appreciate him being outspoken about these things and giving people courage. And I want to just encourage people to live courageously and live truthfully. And I want to most of all say that that should start with the reality of Jesus Christ. That's how I'm going to end the podcast. Thank you, everybody.